Welcome to the Two Tribes podcast, where each week we bring you the real stories of Australian founders and investors, the two tribes of entrepreneurship. If you like what you hear, give us a rating on iTunes or follow us at Two Tribes News on Twitter. This series of Two Tribes is supported by Tankstream Labs. Tankstream Labs is more than just a workspace for Australian founders, it's a place to work on your passion. TSL, like Two Tribes, brings real founders and investors together. On to today's podcast. Today we have Shelley Laslett from Vitae. Welcome, Shelley. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, so in your own words, can you tell us what Vitae is? Sure. So Vitae is actually Vitae.coach, affectionately known yep. as Vitae. Um, Vitae is actually Latin for career or life, so it comes from the term of curriculum Vitae, so we're just taking the last little bit of it. Um, we're, we're not really massive fans of making up words, which is confusing <laughs> for marketing, so we thought, let's go old school, take some Latin. Um, it's really our side hustle, so it's our side hustle and that's a career coaching startup. So we're combining artificial intelligence with neuroscience to help Gen Ys, which is 20 to 35 year olds, really find and create the career they want. So what we also do as well is work with founders and entrepreneurs, helping to become great leaders and build great companies with um, meaningful and actually impactful cultures. You know, there's been a lot in the press about how important culture is, particularly now in the startup world recently, which has been a bit disappointing, but also positive as we now can, can change and do something about it. But for us, fundamentally, we empower people with the right neural tools and, you know, in some cases, apply the technology to have a successful transition from where they are to where they want to be, or from who they are today to who they would like to be in the future. And so, there's lots of different ways to help with career planning. It's been done for centuries. What, what do you do with AI to help improve that or bring it into the next generation? So, look, I think in terms of the technology, like at the moment we're working on a number of hypotheses with customers. We are quite early stage, but we're really using those data and insights to inform how we should be structuring our MVP. Because we're you know, dealing with such progressive technology, but as you rightly say, we're answering quite an age-old question of the human condition. What should I do? Who am I? How can I impact the world? How can I get from where I am to where I want to be? Um, there are multiple applications for how the technology can apply. So, you know, if we're bound in nature, practicing what we preach, we really are testing and iterating and refining what technology can actually do to help people. And I just want to clarify that AI um, is never going to replace humans in this context. Sure. So, well, not today at least. So, you're not going to be coached by a robot, you know, via VTI. You're actually probably not going to be coached by a robot anytime soon. Um, AI is based on probability and algorithms and therefore it's not intuitively intelligent or has a high level of emotional intelligence, which coaching does. Um, it's incredibly perceptive, uh, I guess, it, yeah, it's incredibly perceptive, if I can say the word properly, um, process. And in that, what we're looking at is how can AI help to scale the delivery and how can AI help to change some of the traditional um, coaching models to basically access, be at more accessible and create more ubiquity in its application, if that makes sense. Yep, yep, and what were you doing before starting VTI and how did you get the idea for it? Uh, yes, yeah, so still doing yep. um, as VTI is a side hustle. So yep. I'm a startup investor for a corporate fund, yep. also a mentor in programs um, such as Google Campus, um, mentoring on Techstars, which is really exciting, cool. uh, Tech Ready program, which is here, um, Triangles, Elevarco, a couple of others. Mm -hmm. Um, and really an advisor still to some of the startups, even within TSL. So before I was doing that in Sydney, I used to be the GM of the York Butter Factory in okay. Melbourne. I don't know if you guys know that startup hub. So I used to take care of um, all the corporate partnerships there and also helping building the community out and they did a little bit of work on the venture capital and the fund. 
So I've kind of always been in and out of the startup ecosystem. Before that, um, I was a consultant for my sins in London, but always in the innovation or the disruption space. So spent time in and around the Silicon Roundabout and in around that Old Street area, and really working between or working through how you can have continuous improvement or continuous innovation, you know, better, faster, cheaper for what corporates really need to focus on. Or disruptive innovation, which is what startups really focus on, you know, creating new markets and creating new models and new way of doing things. So really looking at how you can harmonise harmonize both of those things to help support both of those communities. So kind of the same still, yeah. I guess, just sort of wearing a different hat. Yep. Yeah. And the... Oh, the yeah. How did it come about? The point in time when you um, felt that this was something that you wanted to do. Yeah, like I think VTAR's kind of like um, a bit of a similar to the Drew Houston Dropbox situation that, you know, we are our customer. Mm -hmm. So if I reflect back, you know, at a time, I probably needed these services. Um, so in my 10 years of working, I've had six career changes and my co-founder in his 13 years has had six also. So on a, you know, on that level, really what we're talking about is there is a larger issue than just us. And obviously people say, careful, be careful, and tread carefully with your, you being your own customer. But what is quite apparent is that this is a more uh, far-reaching problem than what we uh, were experiencing ourselves. And that's for a number of reasons. Um, on a macro level, it's just that you know we have been completely, our industries have been completely disrupted. Technology is horizontalized industry. Um, automation and level of automation, something that the World Economic Forum refers to as a fourth industrial revolution mm -hmm. of automation of AI and big data and analytics, is changing the nature of our work. We have the future of work now, which is a term that gets thrown around the gig economy, the platforms like Freelancer and Antasker. It's a much more autonomous uh, work style. Um, we all have side hustles, you know, even if people have corporate jobs, we're also working something on the side and that's acceptable. So it's predicted um, actually by Deloitte that you have 12 to 15 careers in your lifetime. Mm -hmm. that's, that's not jobs, yeah. that's careers, which is incredibly common. But if you moved 10 years ago, that was not common. It was stick and, you know, run the ladder. So it's kind of, V-type basically is building on the fact that there are macro trends beyond our control of, you know, the age-old question of the human condition that is influencing this change. And, you know, as coming from a neuroscience background, the brain hates change. It's a connection machine. It wants to find something, file it to something it knows, and get rid of it. Uncertainty and, and ambiguity to the brain is awful. Hmm. It's like the most hated thing. So it's quite an unsettling time um, when you're going through a transition or you're trying to figure out you know, what you're going to do. Really what we do at Vita is break it down. It's not what you're going to do forever, it's what you're going to do next. If you know that these things, you know, are within your environment, you don't need to change the environment, you just need to change the way you're approaching it. And so, it's obviously a side hustle at the moment. Um, yeah, yeah. takes a lot of time. <laughs> take a lot of time. What, what convinced you to go and do a side hustle? Like, at, at what point in time were you like, this is something I have to go and do? Yeah, massively. I think, so I um, have an anthropology and, and philosophy background, that's actually what I studied at university, and I I love people. Mm -hmm. I know that sounds like really weird <laughs> and voyeuristic, but I'm inherently fascinated by people in the human condition, and I think once you've studied, you know, all the way from the Epicureans and the Stoics and the Greek philosophy, all the way through up into the modern day philosophers like um, John Rawls and the Enemies and all that sort of jazz, but Noam Chomsky, all those guys, it's the same question we're still answering the same question. And what you actually see is that if you strip away ethnicity, gender, culture, religion, geography, we are far more similar than we are dissimilar. Mm. And 
based on that, I've never really stopped that innate passion and curiosity about this. And to me, success is going to sleep at night knowing that you use your talents and abilities to actually serve other people. So if I flip this on its head, and I probably shouldn't do it as much because brain doesn't really work in negatives, if there's one thing that I can't not not do, it's this. Yeah. This has been brewing around for about 10 years, mm -hmm. but you know, I probably had to get a few more fine lines and maybe a few grey hairs before I started <laughs> thinking about it. And I'm glad I did, um, but everything that I've done has sort of led me to this point. And it sounds a bit maybe a ritual, but when you know, you know. When you know it's the right time to do it, you know, sort of the barriers that have been stopping you will naturally dissipate. And it's actually quite clear and it's actually a really easy transition. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where VTAR got to, that it's, it's so much of a passion and so much of what drives me and to me is why I'm here, that to not do it would just be, not doing it makes me incredibly miserable and it never feels like work, so you know you're in a good spot when yeah, that happens. Yeah. And did you already know your co-founder before or did you meet him for this specific purpose or? Yeah, I knew him quite well before, um, co-founder's my husband, so... <laughs> Quite, quite closely, you know, quite a high level of intimacy. Um, so it's one of those age-old things where you know when you write things you're not going to do, you're like, oh, I'm never going to do that. And your life just throws things that you'll be like, oh, I'm doing this now, okay. So it's like, I'm never going to be with anyone from work. We originally both worked in consulting together. You know, I'm never going to found a business with my partner. That's just ridiculous. Like, so it is all those things, but it's brilliant as well. And I think... For, and this is advice for anybody that goes into business with any family members or close friends, um, particularly for a, a married couple in a relationship, you need to be very clear on when you are being founders and when you are being you know, husband and wife. Yeah. And we've been quite respectful and very cognizant of that and call it out a lot with each other. So if something you know doesn't land properly, you can see someone's reaction, you're like, I'm telling you this as your co-founder and I'm not telling you this as your wife. And also it's important to work out when there's times when you just need to put some of the business stuff down and look after your health first. Yeah, because, yeah. And this is something we say to our clients a lot, like your company's not going to survive if you as a founder don't thrive. Like it will not get to the point it needs to scale because if you don't have your health, which is both emotional and social and mental and physical, you have nothing. So sometimes there is those, break, those elements where yeah. you go, this is not as important as perhaps our you know, the health of our working relationship. And that probably extends beyond just being husband and wife. I yep. think that's true of all co-founders. But there is also this innate, innate like, positivity that, like, that person 110% has your back. You trust them inherently. Yeah. And a lot of the stuff that can happen with co-founder conflict about behaviour and uncertainty and do they mean this, do they mean that, are they actually... just doesn't exist. Yeah. Because you can have a very transparent, honest, and also very, like, considerate and loving conversation with that person, yeah. that a lot of the sort of awkwardness sometimes of working with a new co-founder just doesn't exist. Yeah. And what have been some of the biggest challenges in setting up Vitae? Um, probably two, I'd say one is time, like it's our side hustle, so you know, we're early stage, we both work full time, we both have advisory roles um, within the startup ecosystem, I have, and we both have all our coaching clients on top of that that obviously are going through um, things that need far more time and attention and just a couple of I'll just quickly get that done you know they need and it's important like the, when I show up for these folk they don't need my stress and my anxiety they need me to be present and be completely in the moment and be completely there for them so you know two sort of different operating modes but 
I am really committed to that, and so I will take the time to make sure that happens. So time management, though, for both of us, we're quite structured people. Um, I think I've learnt to do that more. Uh, I'm not naturally that way inclined, but I'm quite religious with my diary, and what I mean by that is I live and die by it. If it's not in there, it's not happening. And also that's really reflective of what's achievable for me. Um, I can't create more time. I just can create how I use it. Again, having the, the neuro background, I know what is optimal for the brain as well. I know the time it takes to, for it to be optimal, when it should break, how long is actually, you know, are you actually going to do good work? And sometimes you just do, do need to knuckle down. And yep. if you're consciously like, okay, I need more adrenaline brain, you'll be like, okay, good, we're going. But, you know, you can't do that all the time. Yep. So time for us is something that we've, we've got quite good at. We're very planned people. Mm -hmm. It's all nicely laid out. So we stick to those things and really, you know, what's achievable and what's attainable. It is always for everybody because we all have that little voice to say, oh, you should just do more, you should just work harder. But, you know, if I, taking my own advice there, throw something like a best friend filter over it, would my friend be saying that to me right now if I'm exhausted and it's 11.30? Probably not. So maybe I should put this one down and yep. pick it up in the morning when I'm recharged and I've got, you know, way more glucose and way more oxygen in my working memory and I can actually focus on it properly. Um, the number one is time. The other one is technology. So, you know, we are dealing with incredibly nascent tech and looking at it in a way that's never been applied before. So a lot of what we're thinking about is, you know, not even applied to a current working model or a current way of doing things. We're thinking about complete disruption in some spectrums. So we have a, you know, extreme end of the, what are we testing, and a much more close to current business day end that we're testing. Um, so there's so many unknowns, which there always is, and that's you know what kind of excites me personally. But whilst um, we've been in and around tech and have worked in tech consulting and managed tech teams and know enough to know enough, we're not both technical founders. So we have a great team of technologists who are some of the brightest minds in this in this area, and we're fortunate that we can lean on them and talk to them. But there are some times when it takes a bit longer just for us. Um, but I guess we're also much more respectful of the process. Some, I think if you're non-tech, sometimes you don't really understand or value how much detail, time, and craftsmanship is going into what's being built. Mm -hmm. You're just like, just, it's just a simple change. <laughs> when you see it on that, then you're like, no, actually, because there's layers and layers of code underneath that, yeah. and it's integrated in a certain way. But we are very fortunate to have a strong team and particularly a strong network of advisors that can help us walk it through. So you know, I am forever grateful for them. I do believe work with people who are smarter than you. Like if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. So I'm fortunate to have those great minds that really push my thinking as well. Yeah. And is that an agency or is that tech people that you've hired to build the product? It's actually, that? yeah, it's, we don't work with an agency. Um, I guess the fact that my husband and I have been in the ecosystem for a long time, we just know the people who know the stuff. And I, in life, but particularly in work, do believe in the give first focus of the ecosystem. So I'm a big fan of you know Bradfield's approach and that it's not charity. It's nothing is purely benevolent anyway. You're talking about the human condition, but it is that you give first, knowing that there will be something later in return. So a lot of these folk um, over the last two years, three years, we have both given a lot to out of just the goodwill of the fact that we believed in them, they were good technologists, we yeah. wanted to see them succeed. And those people need to be looked after in Australia, particularly but good talent is so rare. So it's really worked off a lot of that economy um, of favours. Mm -hmm. And but also, you know, we have the formalised engagements with the right people. Yeah. But it is 
knowing the right people to call and pick up the phone and say, this is my current dilemma, I value your opinion, I value your approach, can you please help me unpack this in just five minutes? Because that's happened many times before in the reverse and it would happen many times again. So I do think the way that we've gone through VTI, we've actually seen a lot of that come to fruition. So it's not just the lofty statement that people say. And you, and you can tell the difference between the authenticity of someone who acts on it and another person that says it. Yeah. But that's actually been hugely helpful and integral to how we've been able to build it out. What's driving the trend in mentoring startup coaching businesses? Uh, we've had a few on the podcast already. Um, just interested in your thoughts on that. Um, I, don't, I don't think there's actually a new trend. So if I build on that point of, you know, that the ecosystem is a give first, like, give first place, I think a lot of that has been around. So mentorship is really, I mean, it's different in the ecosystem because a lot of there's a lot of peer mentoring. Um, I think that we are becoming a more open generation where asking for help is more acceptable, so it would appear that mentorship is more prevalent, but really if you looked beneath the layers and, the, and sort of, you know, the social preconceptions of the time, a lot of that was happening. So people will always naturally support people, particularly when they're in um, a shared situation or in close proximity because we're a social um, species. We, our survival depends on the cohesion and social cohesion of us and others, which is why we have you know, a prefrontal cortex which acts as a braking system about, oh, hang on, that's not socially acceptable. We're not completely animalistic. So when we, for example, are hungry and see food, we don't respond directly to the feed like message, we're like, well, hang on, that's not my lunch. I'm not going to eat that. That's <laughs> not appropriate. But because of that, we all have an innate sense of care for each other because on an animalistic level, we know that caring for our community means we actually survive. So even going to that base, you know, animalistic level and the way that we're wired, we all do give a little bit. We all are quite conscious. I think the mentoring element has stepped up in the ecosystem because we are getting more people around. We're getting that, you know, the curve where we had some businesses that are quite mature and now putting the, you know, the sunshine and the water back onto the, the current sort of ecosystem and growing the next wave. And so we're learning, you know, monkey see, monkey do, we're continuing that trend. I do believe, though, more macro that we are much more open and therefore more open to seeking help. So, uh, you know, the mentoring element does come in. but. Just quickly to delineate, there is a difference between a mentor and a coach. Yep. So a mentor is somebody that you, based on their previous experience and their domain expertise or their subject matter expertise, ask to guide you through the process of what you're going through because it's similar to what they've been through. And based on their experiences, um, they will come back to you and say, these are the things that I would recommend you try because I've done this and this is what happened for me. A coach is the doesn't necessarily need the domain expertise. A coach is someone that's listening for potential. So a coach, well, most coaches, rarely give you the, the direct answer. What they do is, um, through their training and through whichever school or discipline you come from, ask the poignant questions to get you to flick the insight yourself. So insight being an alpha wave, which is different from a beta wave, which is everything we do all the time, and out, the insight is the aha moment. And there's certain preconditions in which an insight is far more likely to eventuate. So if you guys think about when do you get your aha moment, moments are they like when you're at the desk beavering or are they other times probably other times yeah so increased oxygen increased glucose exercise yep. in the shower when you're about to go to sleep generally all those types of aha moments what you're doing in a coaching environment is setting up the mind or the mind of someone else to get to that point 
but you're never leading them to it in a sense of this is what you need to do. So a coach is there for high performance, it's there to be a sounding board and it's actually there to give someone space and time and respect that they are going to process their thoughts in their way. And the primary reason that this is different is that, you know, like like our own children, we love our own the most and our ideas are the same. So if someone has an insight themselves, it's far more impactful than me telling, you know, you this is actually what you should do. If you find it and anchor it to your own emotional memory and your own way of how you're going to execute, you will actually do it. It will, be, it will increase your propensity to actually changing. If I just show you the way and you do it with my you know, accent on it, it won't stick. Mm-hmm. So it's not that you don't need mentors, you absolutely do, but they're not the same as coaches. Yeah. And so you've got a quarter life crisis offering. Yeah. <laughs> Any particular reason why quarter life is becoming so popular these days? Yeah, look, I kind of wish it wasn't so popular, but <laughs> it's true. So, I mean, it's probably more common, the QLC as it's affectionately known, it's probably more common in the US and Europe. Um, Australians, maybe not so much, but if we just take it back, I did mention it before, but 20 to 30 year olds, Gen Ys, um, or maybe didn't, are the most stressed out people in the developed world. So on average, they are the most stressed out. Like that in itself is huge, but the biggest cause of stress in that time period is choosing your career path. So this is a untapped, unrecognised market, and really to date there's not been many providers that talk about the QLC. There's lots of providers at the early stage of when you're choosing university or whether or not you're going to go into a vocational career or you've come out of university and you're not sure what to do. At those very obvious transition points, there are a lot of support services. The QLC is basically if you just look at that simple fact of that we are more stressed than we have ever been with, there are high levels of anxiety, of depression, of suicide, of actual mental health conditions, but also, you know, anxieties and mental health conditions, but the preconception or the pre um, sort of conditioning to those have, has increased. That plus the fact that we're now going through a huge time of change and what we talked about before with that your career change is more prevalent, more obvious, more likely to happen. There is a consistent sort of pattern that you're going to see over time with this being much more common. Um, and, you know, most older generations, because they haven't lived through a time of such disruption and change, and yes, there are similarities, and I'm not by any means disrespecting the people that lived it before us and taught us great things, but it is different and at a pace that has been unprecedented. Based on, you know, that factor, along with the technology, and then on top of that you put, this is the first time in your life that you have not made a linear progression. So if you think about from the moment you walk into kindergarten, to the moment that you finish high school or leave high school, or to the moment that you finish your degree, you have moved up incrementally in a linear fashion. You are very clear on what happens after first year. If you would like to continue, you move to second year, and then you graduate. And suddenly, in your 25, 24, even, you know, 28, you're bobbing around in the ocean going, is this it? Is this what I'm meant to do with the rest of my life? And so you have a huge vastness of opportunity, but with opportunity comes a lot of stress and uncertainty. So what it's about is taking all those macro influences which you can't actually control, helping people to realise and normalise. Normalise is a neuron tool that you use to dampen down the limbic brain, the limbic response, which is the fight, fight, beat, fornicate, or freeze. But generally associated high levels of stress and anxiety, normalise it, identify what it is, which is what the brain loves to do, oh I know what that is, so I can calm that response down. 
once you do that, then you can get into, you know, we are now just talking about the human condition, which is all part of being normal. Yeah. This is all part of what life is actually like these days, and there's nothing wrong with it. Where we come in at Vita is we are looking at the folk who are in, inherently driven. They are high achievers already. They are high performers. They are the people that don't just sit back on their laurels and say, oh, I'm just going to do this forever because I'm here now. They want more. They want to give more. I can actually like, pinpoint, and we have a complete 50-50 uh, client-based split. No person, when I've asked them, what do you actually want to do with your life, has given me any different response other than I just want to make an impact. I want to give and I want to influence and I want to be known for doing something good. I want to actually help people. That, I think, in essence, sums up the generation we have and our client base. They're not happy with just enough or complacency. Yeah. There are people in this age gap as well that are, and that's fine, but that's not the people that we're dealing with. So how can we get you from being high performing to already, you know, even further performing and being the next level of that executive in a time frame that's much quicker than you possibly ever imagined? Or how can we take you from being a lawyer and put you into a role that you actually want without having to take a massive pay cut and still developing the skill sets? How can we communicate that transferability? And how can we support you to make this change and it be your change, not something that we're doing? So we're just the sounding board, we're just the mirror, we're just the platform. Yeah. We don't actually make the change, we just empower and facilitate it. And without not trying to take people away from signing up to the course, but, <laughs> but if, if people are listening right now and, and that's resonating with them, what are some basic questions that anyone that is a high achiever in this age bracket should be thinking about um, or asking themselves to kind of push them or to normalise the stress mm. or to just you know think differently about what they're doing today? I think we as humans have an amazing ability um, to have empathy. So we're the only species on the planet that really has developed empathy. It's, it's true in all primates, so anyone that has, um, like I mentioned before, prefrontal cortex, which is our working memory. And if we change our perspective, we have ability to apply empathy for ourselves. So one of those questions would be throwing, you know, what would my mother, brother, sister, father, best friend, partner be saying to me right now if I'm having that conversation to myself. It doesn't really sound like a loving, supporting conversation, so why am I having it inside my own mind? And the reason this is so critical is that to the brain, it does not know the difference between facts or fiction. It will believe whatever it chooses to believe which it wants to validate. So you know when you're talking to someone and you're like, oh, but here's all the facts by like how refugees aren't stealing our jobs. And they're like, oh no, they are because of these reasons. Or you put data in front of a manager and it gives them an outcome they don't want. Or you build a financial model and you give it to the CEO and they're like, I don't like these numbers. It's because they don't want to see that part of the world. And we are no different. So if that is true, what is also true is that to the brain, it doesn't know the difference between imagining and doing. So if I say to you guys, go down the corridor, turn left, and there's a golden vase there, and I want you to pick up the vase. Right now your brain's like, okay, cool, I'm picking up the vase. It does not know the difference. So if we imagine ourselves being a failure, if we imagine ourselves not succeeding, if we imagine ourselves clicking careers and never settling down, and therefore I'm never going to succeed, or I'm never going to find that partner, or I'm never going to make a partner in my firm, the propensity for it to happen is far less likely because it will change the biochemistry of your brain. Conversely, if you believe that I will make partner and I am confident and I am lovable and I am acceptable and I am a success and I am free within my own mind, regardless of my own situations, then you will be. 
And that really, like, that is neuroplasticity. You can change your mind. So 30 to 32 days of um, practice or continued practice, patterning, yeah. will allow a new neurological pathway to be prioritised versus just being formed. So if you guys went away and did everything with your left hand today, if you're not naturally left-handed, there would already be a pathway building out. The little dendrites, which are the roots of the electromagnetic currents to go through, would already be forming. So what they do with sports stars is a lot of visualisation. So here's you winning 100 metres, you say, bowl, and running over the line and smiling. Enough of that practice, you will actually build the pathway so your brain will go, oh, here I am at the 100 metre final. I know what I'm going to do now, that prioritised pathway. Yep, that's what it looks like. Bam. That, if you think about it, you have the ability to control nearly anything. Obviously, there's things beyond your control, but if you're controlling your behaviour, yep. which is the only thing on the planet you can actually control with confidence, you can do anything. And so when I think about that, people have the ability to change. People are incredibly interesting and incredibly powerful, and I believe from my liberalist views, liberalist political philosophy thought, not necessarily the party, <laughs> that people are inherently good. And if you give them enough tools and enough knowledge and enough capability, they will change. If you don't provide them those things, it's like looking at somebody you know, in a well and saying, you can just climb out. But if I put a rope, why wouldn't I throw it down? I'm not getting down there with you, but I will sure as hell let you pull yourself out. So it's really about what tools, techniques, what can we use to help you make the change that you want to make to establish your own idea, because you know that if you establish your own idea and own it as your own, the likelihood of it happening is far more likely than me just giving you the answer. Yeah. Very exciting. So it's early days. What's mm -hmm. what's next or what's the next milestone for, for you and your business? That is a good question. So the next milestone would be our official launch, which is gonna happen in Q two. Um, and that's at the moment it's just been early stage sort of stuff, getting all our lead gen, doing a lot of experiments. We'll be coming out with something, oh, Q2, sorry, Q2 financial year, calendar year Q4. Um, we'll be coming out with the next iteration sort of thing, which is really exciting. We've partnered with a bunch of education providers, accelerators, sub-VCs and some startups, really starting to deliver that fresh content and rewiring how we think about coaching using a lot of the neuroscience stuff we have and some really early stage MVPs with the AI stuff. So. As with all things, you just got to keep getting that validation, keep talking to your customers, keep building brand awareness. So you know, we want to hear from people who are in this situation. Like if this is resonating with you, if it sounds like you, if you're sitting there being like, I don't know what to do with my life or who I am. Like one, totally normal, but two, like we want to hear from you. How can we help? I think you know we've gone through a lot of brand valuing exercises, and I know that might sound a bit like, oh, brand values, whatever. It's incredibly important to us as a company that we lead with how can we help. It's not about us. It's not about VTI becoming the best and the biggest brand in the world and everybody looking at it. It's about how can we make the biggest impact and help the greatest amount of people. That's really where we come from. So everything we do is targeted and centred around that. Well, we might move to a quick fire round now. Okay. Um, we are asked everyone the following five questions. So, what is your most hated startup cliche or piece of advice you've ever been given or heard? You just need to hustle. Like, obviously, I'm already hustling <laughs> if I have a company. So, what I mean by that is it's glorification of hustle. So, in the corporate world, it's glorification of busy. Yeah. But here, it's glorification of hustle. Like. You just gotta hustle. I'm like, okay, that's not a value or something I can take and turn into an action. Like, 
I also think it's generic advice, it gets thrown out and it can glorify a lot of like, you know, just nonsensical and not actually effective working. <laughs> I'm just hustling. No, like why don't you just take the time to focus and spend 45 minutes in a flow state and then get up for 15 minutes and have a break because that's okay. <laughs> or why don't you go home and see your family for a start? Or why don't you actually go for that run so you can clear your mind and be more focused when you come back and sit down and try and attack the problem. I also think from a management perspective and maybe this is a different topic, but sometimes entrepreneurs aren't natural or like managing. They don't, they love doing lots of different mm -hmm. things and seeing what sticks and getting to that hairy problem, what's exciting, what's changing, how can I be at the forefront of the cutting edge of innovation, what can I do? Which is what you need to get to the first two years, but after that's actually a bit different, it's a bit boring. And hustle, you do need to do it, but it might be so much more focused, particularly as you scale out teams and give um, direction from a, from a leadership perspective and enabling people. And just hustle isn't really a sort of compassionate understanding perspective of what someone's doing. So what I do think is important to hustle, saying, oh, you just need to hustle as a solution, or I got here from hustle. Like, no, hustle was one thing you did. It was not the thing you did. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's overused. So perhaps hustle with focus instead. Yeah, or just like, do your job. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you could have changed one thing about starting Vita, and obviously it's an early stage, mm. what would it be? I, I don't think I would have changed anything. And what I mean by that is that everything that has happened has got me to the point that I am today. And if I was to take any of those things out, I wouldn't be who I am today. And I wouldn't have the company which I have today. And I guess we're fortunate that we haven't had any catastrophic, like the last server went down or when AWS <laughs> crashed. So, I don't actually think I would change anything. Mm -hmm. okay. So you're obviously providing a lot of advice to others, but what's the best piece of practical advice that you've been given? Um, there's a couple I can. Um, one thing I would say which resonates with myself and but also my um, probably our clients and our demographic is it's not about what you're going to do, it's what about what you're going to do next. And that's, you don't need to answer the whole problem to begin with, just answer what you're going to do next. And the only way you're not going to get to next is if you stop. Like, to me there is no try. So I'm going to try and get that to you. Don't try, just get it to me. Like, no one... Very Yoda. Yeah, like, no one tries to push something off the table, they just push it off the table, like, you see those cats, bad, it's gone, they're not trying. And what I mean by that is, it's not that it's not hard, but it is that if you are committed to doing the action, taking out the try will just give you the confidence to do it. Um, I think this is probably more philosophical advice, but and which is backed up obviously by the neuroscience learning. Like the issue that you are presented with is never the issue. And this is probably lots of people. So if someone's basically getting upset or getting angry or getting frustrated in front of you in a situation, the actual situation is about one-tenth of probably what's going on because that situation is bringing up an emotion and that emotion has a whole history of understanding and connection associated to it. So it's recalling everything that... So the brain recalls it in time of anger, everything it knows about anger. Right? So the issue is not really the issue. And predominantly, you know, we, we are social creatures, but it's probably not about me. And that's not to let myself off the hook and not say that I have an accountability or a responsibility or I play a role in this part. It's that fundamentally what that person is probably going through in that moment is actually nothing to do with me. And I have two choices here. I can react 
and let their stuff start to affect me. Or I can pause and reflect and say, this isn't about me, but I acknowledge the role I play. How can I help you? How can I help you change your situation? What do you need to get out of the problem, drama, and the detail? What's the vision and how can we get you there? And I think that applies at all levels, not just to the startup world or not just to being a founder. Yeah, cool. And your top three sources of information that help you get started? Oh, so many. Um, I think the general stuff about particularly the startup world, like Lean Canvas, you know, um, Lean Innovation, Human Centered Design has been a massive one for me, and the D School, um, the Kelly Brothers, and what they've set up about being a designer, and particularly, you know, David Kelly's talk about not splitting the world into creatives and non creatives. That was a big turning point. I think on more of a individual journey, it's about having the courage and the vulnerability to show up. And some of the work that's influenced that would be um, Renee Brown and her Daring Greatly speech, or you know, one of her top 20 watch TED talks. Some of the work of Amy Cuddy, which is what I talked about before, a little yeah. bit of you know, fake it until you become it, because you, your brain doesn't know the difference between imagining and doing. Like if you just imagine it enough, you can change you know, the neurochemical cocktail in your mind. If you sit in a powerful pose for long enough, you will increase your testosterone confidence, you will decrease your cortisol stress, and you will be that person. So I think honouring and acknowledging that from part of, from my perspective, um, has given me the confidence to get started and also the confidence to have vulnerability and say I don't know everything yeah. and I'm not about to, which has provided me a, like a confident humility to say, can people help me please, versus thinking I have to do it all myself. Great. And finally, your most unexpected source of inspiration. Um, sorry, two things. First thing is that all my failings have led me to this point. And that the things or the times when I felt like I failed was actually me creating the person I needed to become. And that's, I can either look at them as painful reminders of the things that I didn't do great, or as opportunities which have led me to the position I am in now. And I wouldn't be here today having learned all these things if I didn't kind of like screw things up along the way occasionally. <laughs> so that's been good. And I think from VTI, the fact that I can't get to everyone, I can't be in everybody's mind, and that's probably a good thing, because that would be weird, <laughs> but I can't reach every single person on the planet. So every time I think about, oh my God, this is just so hard, like, I don't even know how to create it, it's completely new, like, I think we're doing it, I remember that people inherently need each other. I can't be everywhere, so how can I create a solution? How can we build a community that can be everywhere for everyone? Shelley, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you.